Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles, Romans chapter 2. Since this morning we we talked about uh, Jesus fulfilling the law as opposed to just simply abolishing it or um, simply being like a Pharisee in connection with it, uh, I thought it would be worth looking at exactly why it is God gave us the law. It is not uncommon for me when talking with people, particularly about ethical issues, what Christians believe about morality, is to have to address the fact that the Old Testament is full of things that we don't follow today. Uh, I took out of my notes for the sake of time this morning, but had a list of what we would perceive as odd laws in the Bible. Uh, You can't wear uh, clothing with mixed fabric, for example. Um, or uh, issues with birds and nests that you, 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 you keep the mother, you can't keep the mother, something like that. Uh, there are some odd laws in there. And um, every teenage boy who is dragged the church, right, so I was one of them, finds entertainment in some of those laws when you're in middle school, right? When you're a middle school boy, you discover Song of Solomon, you discover Leviticus and just have some, some of the things in there. And uh, so what often comes up is what do we do with the law? If we believe every word of the Bible is inspired, what do we do with that? I don't know if you've noticed it, but we have carpeted our sanctuary. And the reason is because we're not too worried about us sacrificing a goat anytime soon. I mean, that would ruin the carpet. So why then do we claim that all of the Bible is given to us by God, um, and yet at the same time, we're, we're not sacrificing sheep up here, among other things, Right? Uh, so I thought it would be helpful if we, um, if we explore what it is that the law does, particularly from a New Testament perspective. Romans chapter 2, let's start in verse 17. We'll go down to verse 24, if you'll stand with me, and we'll read this. And we're not going to exegete this the way we normally would, um, but really use it as a launchy pad. We'll, we'll see it particularly with our first point, but we'll be all over the place. So uh, just a fair warning. Chapter 2, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor uh, of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Our Father, I ask, as always, that uh, you will um, move us this evening and, and show us your word that we may have a better understanding of it. These are simple points. Uh, nothing fancy here this evening, but Lord, I believe that if it is your word, and your truth, uh, we need it. So, Lord, open our entire being um, and transform us into uh, the sons and daughters of God you would have us to be. And may I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. In 2019, a German man was speeding. And as such, he came up on a uh, camera that uh, was designed to catch speedsters like him. Uh, what it does, similar to if you go to the new bridge in Louisville, when you cross it, they will, uh, the camera technology will figure out what car you it is and send you the bill. I don't know if you've ever gotten that bill in the mail before from crossing it. It's creepy because it has a picture of your car, the date, the time, and your list of fears all right there. And, and you, you had better pay it before the man comes and, and gets you. 
Well, that's essentially what this system was. The, 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 but something happened to the man, and he got out of paying the ticket. It was miraculous, you could say, and that is that while the camera was trying to register the car and, and do all that sort of stuff, it was blocked by a pigeon. I'll show you the picture. This is a real picture. You can Google it. There it is. At just the right time, when the camera was shot, the pigeon obscured the driver's face and, you know, spreading its wings, keeping the camera from registering the car, thus ushering in the ticket. What are the chances of that actually happening? Well, no doubt, every aspect, as we said this morning, of our lives are regulated. Uh, there are laws that regulate everything, ordinances and everything else. Um, at any time, the law could affect us, good or bad. Uh, if, I'm sure you checked your speedometer and coming down here. I'm, I'm sure that if you came up on a stop sign, you stopped. A stoplight, you stopped. You, we, we, we are bound by these laws. And so our lives are very much affected by these laws and traditions. Even more, on top of what we have of civil laws, there are the biblical laws, particularly that of Moses. The Old Testament is full of laws. So then what do we do with it? I doubt we will, on the day of judgment, get out of breaking God's law thanks to a pigeon. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bank our, our eternal destiny on that. So then, what is the purpose of the law? What do we do with it as Christians? The first thing we want to know is that the law reveals. It reveals. It reveals two things. First of all, it reveals who God is. It tells us who God is. If we had time to really exegete all of Romans, and, and we'll spend most of our time in Romans and some time in Galatians, mostly try to limit it to those two books. But, but if we were to take our time through Romans, one of the things that we would notice, if you go all the way back to Romans 1, Paul systematically lays out the gospel. One of the things he does is he deals with revelation. And he says that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, God has revealed himself to you. To Jews, he's revealed himself through his word. That's kind of obvious. But to Gentiles at this time who, who don't have the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, they don't really have God's special revelation unless they are proselytes into Judaism. But what they do have, among other things, is, is creation and a conscience. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that through creation, we, dis we can discover there is a divine being who is a creative artist, who is beautiful and thus holy. And, and, and we get a hint that our lives mean more than mere accidents. And given the status of a conscience that we know there is right and wrong and, and that there is a law uh, imprinted on our hearts, that, that, is, that it, we were born with that. Thus, that tells us that if we believe that there is right and wrong, there is one who determines what is right and wrong. So right away, what we see is that the law, whether a Jew or Gentile, we discover who God is. If you read the, the law of Moses, particularly the book of Leviticus, the real emphasis and reminder in the law is to show us God is perfectly holy. If you've ever made it through Leviticus, first of all, congratulations. You are among a small percentage of Christians. However, if you've made it through Leviticus, you will discover that the number one issue is holiness. That we are so unholy, we are so unclean, we are so dirty, that, that there is a chasm between us and God. And the only way we can approach God's presence is if we deal with our sin. 
Now, what the Mosaic law does is, is reminding us of that, gives us a system that allows us to enter his presence. So the high priest, for example, once a year can enter into God's presence in the Holy of Holies. But first, it takes multiple baths, days of fasting, and a host of other rituals and sacrifices just for him for mere minutes to go into the presence of God. So we see who God is and that he is holy. He is imminent. That is, he is near us. He is loving and redemptive. After all, if we are unholy and God is holy, we ain't going to fix that. He must make us holy. We see his loving and he is redemptive. We see that he is merciful. But the law doesn't just reveal who God is. The law reveals who we are at the same time. Every human law exists because of human nature. We talked about that this morning. That we would not throw out a law um, just for kicks and giggles. Like if, if you go to the, uh, the Capitol right now, whether in D.C. or here in Kentucky, or go to city council, the laws that are proposed are there because constituents want them to be proposed. We're having this issue in school. This is a problem we're having in our neighborhood. Or we need to work through this, legalize it, or, 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 or make it illegal, whatever. And, and, and so there is always the need, due to human nature, to pass certain regulations and laws. And those exist because we are unclean. We are sinners. We, we often cheat and steal and everything else. So what we have to have, then, is a body of laws to, to help regulate us. This reveals who we really are. Think about it. If we were just perfectly fine, good people, we wouldn't need lawyers. We wouldn't need judges. Wouldn't need jurors. Wouldn't need police. Wouldn't need diplomats. Wouldn't need an army. Wouldn't need any of that. But the fact that those things exist tells us something about who we are. We are unclean. We are guilty. We are depraved. This is Paul's point, for example, in Romans chapter 7. Yet if... If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Notice the point there. It reveals what is right and wrong, and it reveals I'm the one breaking it. It isn't just that here's the law because all y'all can't control yourself. It's here's the law. None of us can control ourselves. So here's Paul. He has a sense of right and wrong, but the law comes and shows us what is wrong. And, and, and that covenant is wrong. I would have never thought covenant was wrong without the law showing me that it is. Galatians 3.19, Paul states, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Again, you, we wouldn't need a speed limit if we all drove reasonably. I'm willing to bet in your neighborhood, at some point, someone has to put up a sign that warns drivers that there are children in the neighborhood. I bet in your neighborhood, someone has petitioned city council saying, can you put a speed bump up? People have lost their minds and endangering our children. Why? Well, you wouldn't need that if it went for transgression. You wouldn't need that if it went for law. What does that say about you and me? It tells us that we are broken people. Ultimately, the law illuminates both the creator and the creature. We do not measure up to his standard. Secondly, the law condemns. If the law reveals us to be lawbreakers, then naturally when we break the law, there is condemnation. If you are speeding, you get a ticket. All right? Unless you're my wife. Right? My wife has gotten pulled. Uh, she's gotten one ticket in her life. One. 
And she got pulled over for that. That's a separate illustration. She got one ticket her entire life, and it bothers me to no end. I got so many parking tickets trying to date her at U of L, right? Because there's no parking. And, and you never knew where you could park. I had to go to the DMV to pay that thing and sat there for hours. I had to miss class. I am bitter about it, right? I'm not going to lie. Like, like you start to wonder, is she really worth it? You know, all this trouble dealing with the city of Louisville. Anyways, so, so she got one ticket shortly after we moved here. I've told you all this story before. She had parked right in front of the store. She thought she was going to hop in and hop out and no one would know. Right as she got out, a police officer pulled up and gave her a ticket, right, for illegal parking. I just loved it. And, and the agreement was, you know, $10 for this ticket if you pay it by a certain date. And she wanted me to go with her. We parked right next to a police officer over by uh, the, 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 the police department down here downtown and and parked right next to a police officer on his lunch break and and i got out and said sir my wife's about to pay her first ticket in her life could you do me a favor and just escort her in with in handcuffs could you do that for me it would just make my day it would just make my day if you did that i just i just want a few pictures right no okay you got one of those orange jumpsuits we could borrow for a few minutes right i mean can you turn the lights on put her in the back seat something here you know yeah. But naturally, that the law is there, and if it's simply on paper, what good is that? If it's, if it's just a paper tiger, the old saying is, not doing any good. But when there is a law, there are punishments that come with it. If you break this regulation, if you break this law, this will happen. And it could be jail time, it could be a fine, it, it could be whatever uh, uh, those who pass the law think is necessary. But naturally, the law reveals who we are. It reveals us as lawbreakers. And as lawbreakers, we stand condemned, Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So just as we are accountable to the state when it comes to laws, so too we are accountable to God when it comes to his will, way, and words. So in, in this context, then, it is necessary for us to see that the law can only condemn. It cannot redeem. It tells us what is wrong, but it struggles to bring about redemption. The law cannot transform the, the lawbreaker. It can only show that they are guilty, and as guilty person, they are condemned. That's all the law can do. The law cannot transform sinners. You've probably noticed this now, but uh, this was is a fair to do probably within the last 10 years, give or take, that when you go to uh, the restaurant, we were at Cracker Barrel earlier today with the outlaws, and uh, um, next to every item on the menu is a calorie thing, right? Now, do you know the history behind that? I think it started in New York. Virtually everything like that starts in New York or California. And the thinking was, so they passed a law forcing all restaurants, it eventually became sort of nationwide, uh, that you have to put the calories of these food next to the item on the menu. The assumption was that if you see the calories of what you're about to order, a Big Mac, fries, a large coca-cola and two apple pies to the glory of god you can do the math saying that equals obesity and so you will stop and say you know what i'll just have the salad right that's the thinking it was to curve overeaters the curve our bad dieting habits okay you know what's happened we've done studies on this nothing nothing there is little to no evidence that we as americans have actually curved our dieting practice probably Probably we've gotten worse. Anyone remember COVID? How many people were on diet when they were stuck at home? 
<laughs> no, you weren't, okay? <laughs> you know, look, you're thinking, if I have to wash my groceries when I get home, I'm eating every bite of it tonight, right? You know, I mean, that, you know, we, we, uh, the, our weight problems have has gotten even worse. So here it is. The state passes the law that says you have to give this information, and this information will then transform the consumer. The consumer looks at it and says, yeah, but it's cheaper than salad. Big Mac it is. They're doing a two-for-one deal. After uh, soccer practice yesterday, my son, he does this all the time when he discovered this. Uh, you can get a 10-piece chicken nugget meal for free if you spend $3 at McDonald's. $3. You going to get you a full salad? You have to use the, the app. Yeah, you have to use your, your deals and all that sort of stuff. You, 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 you boomers, let me explain to this. You have a cell phone. You can download the McDonald's app, right? And on there, they have coupons, okay? And one of those coupons is a three, for, you get free 10-piece chicken nuggets, which is my son's love language, and, and if you spend $3. Now, I'm a dad. You think I care how many calories is in that meal if it costs me only $3? Absolutely not, I don't. Why? Because the law isn't going to transform me. It can condemn me. And you can look at me and say, well, your skinny boy shouldn't eat all those calories. I'll say, he needs it, right? He needs some protein on them bones. But you can condemn me, but that law's not going to transform me. That's the problem with it. This is one of the great errors of politicians and those who push for laws. Now, I'm not against all laws. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I, 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 um, um, but we think that where there is a problem... We can fix it with a law. So if there is violence in the street, what we should do is ban uh, what is causing the violence, a, a certain weapon or a, a, certain, uh, a certain this or that. And we think that'll fix it. I know what we could do. We should ban violence. That'll fix the problem, right? You know, it's one of the things is like, well, murder was already against the law and they weren't paying attention to that one, Right. We, we do this all, all the time. We think that if we have hate speech laws, people will stop being hateful. If we have hate crime laws, people will stop being hateful. But we need more than rules. What we need is reconciliation, reformation, and redemption. But the law can't give you that. It can only condemn. It reveals that you're a lawbreaker, and it can condemn you as a lawbreaker, and that's it. Thirdly, the law restrains. One of the great myths of modern man is that you can have laws without morality. You've heard this before, particularly the Christians. Stop trying to legislate your morality. The problem is that all legislation is morality. Think about it. When the state redefines marriage, it is choosing one morality over another. When the state enforces new bathroom policies, it's choosing one morality over another. When it sets speed limits, regulates meat processing, or sets safety standards, it is rooted in certain moral standards. Why do we have regulations regarding the meat you buy at Save-A-Lot? Because we don't want to poison people with bad meat. That's a moral decision. By the way, I approve that message, okay? Right? I, I don't want my family to get sick because farmer Bob wasn't paying attention to some basic regulations. Right? That's a moral stance that farmer Bob should care about the product he's selling everybody or corporation Bob or whatever it, it might be. 
So in this context, the law restrains evildoers. The point is not that evildoers will cease committing wrongs because of a law, but it does have a restraining work about it. How many criminals, knowing they are breaking a law, tried to hide their crimes? Virtually all of them. Why is it that if you have an alarm system at your house and you're going to be at home for 24 hours, from midnight to midnight, okay? What hours of the day are you more likely to set that alarm for your safety? At noon or at midnight? Midnight. Why? Because we understand that, 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 that it has a restraining work in it. Thus, either we don't break the law or we do it and hide. I'm willing to bet at some point in your life, in the last three days, you were driving down the road, you saw a police car coming your way, maybe parked to the side, maybe pulling out of a gas station, something like that. You immediately let up on the gas. You look down at your dashboard. Thankful for traffic today. This is, I usually just gun it right there, right? Within the last three days, you've done that. Last three days. We went to Lexington yesterday to watch a movie with some of our young adults, uh, my, my son and all. And uh, we passed like three police officers. Every, every time I did exactly that. Knew I wasn't speeding. Knew I wasn't. Just in case, right? Just in case. Romans 13, chapter 2. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Goes on. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. You see his point? A good ruler will see to it that there are good laws that restrain the evil, but it doesn't punish good. Now that's a difficult balance to find. I don't have all the answers there. But the Bible's clear. We are given laws for this. Paul will add later in 1 Timothy 1. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane. It is there to restrain them, not those who keep the law. In this context, then the law is good. If it were not for laws, whether spiritual laws or, or, or civil laws, um, you and I would not be safe wherever it is that we win. You don't want anarchy because the law has a restraining um, purpose to it. I think this is fourth or fifth or tenth. I don't know. The law points us to Christ. For the sake of, of, of space up on the screen, let me just read to you Galatians chapter 3. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Your translation may say pedagogue or something like that. Until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you... As we're baptizing the Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what Paul is doing here is he says, look, the law can never transform. We, we've talked about that. It can only condemn. And so long as you put your faith in the law, you are confessing perpetually your condemnation and there is no grace. Only condemnation. 
Only con- Think about it. If, if, if you go before the judge and you've broken law X, and you say, well, judge, you shouldn't punish me for X because look at all these good things I've done. The judge will look at you and say, bravo, but you did X. And that means condemnation and judgment. So what we then need is someone to come who, who fulfills the law on our behalf, thus liberating us from its chains. What Paul's point here is, is that the work of justification is he uses the language of a pedagogue or a guardian. It's a foreign concept to us. Basically, what, what, what you have then is, is that a pedagogue or a guardian here it was a household slave that was a tutor or a custodian of children between the ages of 6 and 16. When they hit a certain age, right, they would be responsible for disciplining the kids and, 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 and so on. They would escort them to school and to work and all that sort of stuff. When they hit a certain age, they were free from those restraints. They were free from the rule of their guardian or pedagogue. So too, Paul says the law came when we were young and said, you know, he's speaking in terms of history, that the law comes and, and, and restrains us, teaches us. But the time comes when we are liberated because Christ has come. We've been baptized in Christ. Thus, we're no longer restrained under the pedagogue. We've been liberated under the Redeemer. It's just an illustration he, he has here. It has its function, yes, but it's a temporary function because there's no grace there. But in Christ, there is freedom. There is salvation. There is, as he puts it, justification by faith alone. This is where we go from the bad news, that is that the law condemns, to the good news. And that is that we have redemption in Christ, the one who fulfills the law. It isn't enough that we, as we said this morning, to make the law about be a good person. That's all God wants from you. God doesn't want you to be a good person. He wants you to embrace the good news. That is what would transform you. We don't preach law, we preach the gospel. And so the law ultimately, by condemning us, by making us hopeless, draws us, Luther would say, to, to long for a redeemer. Someone who can fulfill the commandments that we can't. Who can carry the burdens that we no longer can. And that person is Jesus, whom the law anticipated and required. One last point, you'll get out early. The law teaches it teaches. Galatians 5.14 says, uh, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This has to point us to love because we naturally do not do it. The law teaches us what is right and wrong. It gives us a sense of what the sort of people we ought to be. Whether we're talking about a civil law or a religious law. The law teaches us what is good and bad, right and wrong, holy and unholy, just and unjust. The law does teach. Both legalists and libertarians get this wrong. Legalists will turn Christian life into rule keeping. And many of those rules are beyond what Scripture says. I gave you examples this morning that you, if you're a tailor, right, under the rule of the Pharisees, you couldn't have a needle somewhere stuck in your clothes by accident on the Sabbath. That's carrying a burden, a needle, right? Those, those are rules and regulations outside of Scripture. And so you're not really being taught anything. You're being burdened with the law. Libertarians, on the other hand, they just want to be free from whatever it is they want to do. They don't mind condemning you, but, but they, they don't want to be condemned themselves. As such, there's, 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 no, there's no education that is bringing with it. They believe that the law is unnecessary. 
The law simply asks us to love one another. It's not really more complicated than that. And the law shows us practically what that is to look like. You're faithful to your spouse. You raise godly children. You treat your neighbors with respect. The law ultimately wants us to love one another. That's the purpose of the law. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, love. You should love your neighbor. If we practice love, the law will be fulfilled, particularly the biblical law. This is where I am critical of the legalists and libertarians. The legalists make all of religion legal at the cost of love because you bring with it a religion of condemnation without grace. Libertarians say there is no law, and I would say there is a law. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Those are laws. They're laws rooted in the gospel, not rule-keeping, the gospel. As Christ has loved us upon the cross, so too we should love our neighbor. And if that is our mindset, do you and I really need to worry about what's being passed? Maybe a little bit if they're bad laws, of course. We shouldn't panic. I shared this this morning in our pre-Sunday school, Sunday school class. Years ago, scientists did a social experiment. They had a control group in the, in the, in the group that they were experimenting with. It was made up of women. And, and the control group, uh, these women were to simply go do job interviews. Nothing was different. They were just regular job interviews for fields they were qualified for, and they were to come back and answer a number of questions. Do they feel discriminated against? Do they feel they were qualified but were treated as if they were qualified? Sort of simple sort of response to, to that. The other group that was really part of the experiment, they had makeup artists put a scar somewhere on their face that was very noticeable. In fact, it would be like the first thing you noticed about this person was this large scar across their face. And they were given the same task. They were to go to, to do a number of interviews for jobs they were qualified for, and they were to report back their experience. Did they feel discriminated against? Did they feel like they weren't really given a fair shot, though they were qualified for it, so on and so forth? They would answer the same questions as the, as the control group. However, before that other group went out, the makeup artist stopped each of them and said, you know what, uh, it, it, I need to touch it up just a little bit because there's something missing and, and, and we, want to, we want to make sure it looks as real as possible. And so they sat him back down in the chair and the makeup artist, without telling their subjects, removed the scar. So they went into these interviews believing they had a noticeable scar on their face. They did an interview. They answered the questions, all that, and they came back. And they tested the two groups of women, those who were the control group and those who were part of the experiment. Can you guess how it ended? Those who were the, the control group said, look, the interview went great. I felt respected. I felt qualified. And I'm interested to see that I think it's very likely they'll call me back. The other group, whom simply because they thought they had the scar, reported a sense of discrimination. They felt as if the uh, person given the interview had prejudged them simply based off of their looks. And in fact, they highlighted specific words they interpreted as referencing the scar, thus making them disqualified 
for the position. See, here's the thing. These women were free from the scar. They've been freed from it. But they've refused to actually believe it. And as such, their entire life, uh, particularly in the interviews, was shaped by that experience, shaped by that burden. So much so, it, it, it defined who they were. They went in feeling like victims. They went in feeling like they were unqualified, when really there was nothing wrong with them. So too, you and I have been liberated by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus upon the cross and the resurrection. We are free. There are no more scars. We are therefore freed to love with abandonment. For love fulfills the law, the prophets, and the will of our Savior. Let's go Lord in prayer.